Hi, welcome to the Charlotte Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message and that it both encourages and inspires you. Take a seat, Krista. I just noticed they put out an extra chair. Come on, Krista. She is going to kill me later. This will be the end of it all. She doesn't like that kind of spontaneity, as we spoke about a little while ago. That smile. All the married men know what that smile looks like, right? That's the smile you get when you're out with friends. And, you know, there's a chat coming in the car, right? Don't, don't, don't acknowledge men, it's not safe. Uh, um, so, but we also have uh, Pastor Beck over at the end. Now, um, Beck and her husband Grant are over in Champions Church. She's a phenomenal minister in her own right. A mum, um, a full-time worker, she's just an incredible woman of God. And so I thought it'd be good to have not just Pastor Steve, but his family here on stage as well, because they can dish out all the real, real secrets and you know, can nudge and whatever else. That's also why I got my wife here, she keep me honest. Um, so I'll get my little phone out, and I, just in case the battery dies on this thing, because it's about 100 years old, um, I wrote some questions down here. So what I might do is I'll just throw the questions out there, and if someone feels particularly strong about an answer, just jump in, um, which we could be picking on Krista. Yeah, this is, this is going to be really good. Um, and uh, So I thought rather than warm up, let's just get straight into it, hey? My wife, I'll give myself a chance to live. Um, how do you get on the same page financially and set some goals? Because that money's they, they say statistically it's one of the number one reasons for divorce. So whether it's boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, or especially in marriage, how do you get on the same page financially? Hello, my name's Steve. Um, so this is my wife Susie. We've been married 42 years uh, this year. This is our eldest daughter, Beck. Um, she was introduced to you as Pastor Beck, but we just call her Beck. She calls me Dad. And um, so Beck's 38, a nurse by um, profession, and, um, but also a businesswoman. Her and mum run a business manufacturing um, baby goods. And so um, that's their claim to fame. I married a girl from Scotland. So that was, that was a difficult thing from the get-go. So you know a thing or two uh, about money. The land, of, uh, the land of short arms and deep pockets. Uh, but um, we've got to be very brief, obviously, but uh, we've come from two unbelievably different worlds. Uh, I'm one of 12 children, um, single-parent family, leadership family. My dad pastored churches. My mother still, 93. I got a text from my mother this morning with a verse to tell me to be consecrated and devoted and anointed. Um, that's every week, and clean underpants. So that's my mother, and uh, not a control freak at all. Um, Susie's family... Uh, are not Christians. At, uh, she is the only um, Christian in her family. Um, her mum is the daughter of a Baptist pastor um, in England from Luton, um, but her mum has never walked with Jesus in terms of, like, as we would understand it. Um, Susie led her dad to the Lord on his deathbed at the age of 92. Um, yeah, it was the only spiritual word we ever heard him speak in his whole life was when we, uh, Susie said, uh, Dad, I want to meet you in heaven. And, um, um, and he said, Amen. <laughs> Which was, yeah, that was like the Pope preaching a sermon um, to us. And so we're very confident of his, uh, of his final end. But so 
our lives collided unbelievably. I was 18 years of age when I got married. Um, uh, so bombastic, um, insecure. Uh, I was a second-year apprentice boilermaker. Um, Susie was a cashier um, for the electric company, so she had a good acumen with money. So I, I would say that the, the two aspects of money, Pastor Phil, uh, for me, there's the, the attitude. You have stewardship, you know, and then you have generosity, I didn't know the difference. And so I was unbelievably generous. Um, I come from a large family, so you held nothing tightly. And, um, you know, I used to, no trouble sleeping under the truck. And, and blokes are like that. Blokes, we call that faith. No, it's just being a bloke. And, uh, you know, one pair of underpants last six days. Three holes just rotate each day, inside out, backwards. You know, so we call that faith, you know, but it's just being a bloke. Um, Susie, uh, very measured. Um, her dad was the most unambitious man, beautiful man, but most unambitious fellow I'd ever met. I'm just trying to help you know that we collided like a like a hundred mile an hour crash on the freeway when it came to money. Um, Pastor Phil, I don't want to shock anybody, um, and God knows, I'm not even sure how this goes, but where we're at now, we tithe. $1,000 a week right now. So that's where we've come to. Now, now if, I just want to give you some context to that, just so you're aware. And I, I haven't got time to unpack all that. And, um, you know, Susie does all the finances in our family. So she's... Um, stand up if you're not a party to this. But um, Susie sends the money out every single week. Uh, we do not earn $100,000 a year. I have never earned $100,000 a year from my employer. We are a one-wage family. And just if you're in business, you know how um, people in business do things sneaky. They say they only earn 70 grand, but then they get their mortgage paid for, then they get their car paid for, then they get a fuel card. I get none of that. I get my wages, which are not $100,000 a year. We have always only been a one-wage family since Rebecca was born. Um, she is now 38. Um, I've never told anyone else to do this, but God told us to stop getting the social security, um, which you get when you have a lot of kids, uh, 25 years ago. So we've not got that. So when you talk about your 20 cents a week, we did that 30 years ago, started that, started that. I actually tithe each week what I want to earn. You hear me? Um, Genesis chapter 8 verse 22 says, while ever the earth remains... Look outside, still here. So this is an Old Testament. It's while ever the earth remains, it's still there. There will be seed and then a harvest. About 35 years ago, I worked out that I was tithing wrong. Now, I'm just talking Steve theology here. You take it up with Jesus. Um, because I was earning $500, which is your harvest from working all week, and then taking my $50, which is seed. I was starting with harvest and taking seed. I saw the verse that said, no, start with seed and end up with harvest. So I started doing what, what essentially Pastor Phil talked about. So, honey, um, what day of the year, every year, do we get a pay rise? March the 1st. March the 1st, every single year, we give ourselves a pay rise by putting our tithe up. <laughs> See, you say, well, when the boss pays me, the boss isn't in charge of your faith life, you are. So I'm a one-wage guy raised four kids in private school, I have four houses, we've never had two wages. By the way, all of my children have homes they bought off us. And I still have four left. 
So you don't tell me God's not a great accountant. So now that's, that's the good side of it. The, the other side to it is that we have, we have fought a lot over finance in the formative years, bashing out this culture. And I had to come to a point where I had to say, God, I'm not going to do your fighting. You prove it. And so God has proved himself over and over. But just in, in finality, I would simply say I brought generosity to our relationship, but I had no idea of stewardship. Susie has brought stewardship to our relationship. That's like, you know, make, make, making, dotting the I's and crossing the T's. I couldn't care less about that, you know. It's all good. God will do it. Well, yeah, yeah. He does it because he's, uh, we've married the two together. Like on a coin, you have a heads and a tails. They're both, they're both the same value, but they're both totally different. So I brought generosity with a snick of stewardship. Susie from Scotland, and she's allowing me to say this, by the way. She brought stewardship with a snick of generosity, and we have melded that over um, many, many years to where we do that together. So that's incredible, but practically speaking, and I might get Susie to answer that then, how do you do that? So, you know, you've got this great vision, but how do you actually get on the same page? Because clearly you weren't on the same page at one point and sounds like you are now. So how did you do that? How did you rein um, him in? Yeah, it was difficult and we did fight a heck of a lot <laughs> um, because, as Steve said, I was the one trying to, you know, juggle all the balls. And we did at one stage... Um, we have a couple of people that we've put in place in our life that, you know, if we get to a loggerheads, who do we go to? And we did make an appointment with our pastor, well, I did, once to dob him in because he was giving all our money away. Um, can, I, can I finish that story? Yeah. So pastor rang me and said, Steve, this is Steve Penny. He's my pastor, uh, has been for 45 years. I would not go to a church if the pastor could not tell me the name of his pastor. I wouldn't go to that church. My pastor, Steve Penny, and has been for over 45 years. I had breakfast with him Friday. So, you know, um, so he called me, he said, Steve. I said, hey, g'day, how you doing? He said, you got time to come and have a coffee? I thought, oh, beauty, yeah, no problems, you know. And I knew Susie had been to see him, but um, I thought, I'm going to go in there and he's going to tell me that he's sorted her out. Yeah, so bonehead. So I go in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How you doing? He said, "What are you doing with your money?" I said, "Just being a man of God." He said, uh, "What do you mean by that?" I said, "Living my faith." He said, "Do you do the shopping?" I said, "Nah." Oh, he asked me how much money do you give Susie for shopping? That's many years ago, but I said thirty dollars, which was true. It was a lot of years ago, but it was still not a lot of money. And uh, I said thirty dollars. He said, "Oh, so you, do you do the shopping?" I said, "No, no, Susie does that." He said, "Well, you're not living by faith, mate. She is." Then <laughs> he just looked me in the eye, and he was very theological. He said, "You're an idiot." <laughs> And uh, from that day till this, and that's probably more than 30 years ago, I have not, not a portion. Now, you understand, I understand two incomes and everyone's got to do it their own way, but this is how our family has worked. And um, we're not doctors or experts, we're just proof of the pudding, we're sitting here together. And uh, um, from that day till this, I've never not started by giving that and then we believe God. 
Um, um, can I tell one story? Go for we it. We committed $50,000 one year to our church building fund. Um, I wouldn't go to a church that didn't have, you know, whatever you call half a house. I wouldn't go to because it just means the church want to go forward. So our church was doing it. So we, I, I told Sue, um, we pray about it, don't we? We pray about it and say, we'll pray about it for two weeks and you get a figure and I'll get a figure. Holy Spirit will give us one and then we'll go with that. Who's done that? Who's ever got the same figure? We've never got the same figure. <laughs> ever if that just makes you feel better and so this year we arrived at 50 grand and now that's uh that's a thousand dollars a week that's over the tide that's on top of that the tide's not mine I don't get to decide that and so we got to it was due on June 30 Pastor Phil and I got a call about three weeks before and this fella said um Steve Michael here guy I know not in my church he said are you committed to your church building fund this year and um and I'm thinking yeah he said how much and I'm thinking nosy Parker and um, I said uh 50k he said whoa and then he said how much have you paid I thought 10 uh it's 200 bucks a week that's still not bad he said when's the rest due I said three weeks (laughs) he said three weeks I said yeah and he said now I know why every time I pray I see your face I said that must be good and uh, he said, God's just told me I've got to pay the rest. I said, are you serious? He said, yeah. How much was it? I said, 75K. <laughs> hey, I'm ugly, but I'm not stupid. He said, yeah, good one. How much? I said, 40K. Within an hour, there was a $40,000 check on my desk. Uh, it's the, the pain is the step of faith. Once you've decided that and you've decided that, and that's probably where our greatest challenges were, was just coming to surrender, right, let's do this, and then it's fallen into place. Uh, so. And I think, you know, you asked how, to, how did I get to the place where we were on the same page. Um, we obviously weren't on the same page, and I think over the years um, I just saw it worked, and my... My trust in God and my faith in God just grew like by small steps as we took a step and we didn't always have the money to honour what we pledged. Um, sometimes, Some years we sold a car, like we sold my car one year. Um, but God always gives it back, yeah. you know. Um, you said this morning... We sold your car because I didn't actually have one. At the yes, st- Steve didn't yeah. have one. <laughs> uh, he had a motorbike. <laughs> Seven of them. You know, you said this morning um, when you put Jesus at the centre of it all, somehow everything works out. Well, that's the only way I can explain it. You know, Steve has been, has preached all over the world and he's been on a, a plane on the other side of the world with no money in his pocket, um, just, just a credit card. Um, but, you know, we have no debt. And, I mean, other than our mortgage is mortgages because <laughs> so we've got more than one property but um, it really doesn't add up in the natural yeah. it's very hard to explain but I think once I caught um, whatever it was I caught that just hey this actually this actually works this faith stuff and I, and I think you know it's just been incremental and, and small steps to a point where you know we, we're doing bigger things now but it started small yeah. um, and that's the only way I can really explain it it's it's a miracle thing 
So yeah. you wonder why we're talking about money with relationships, and it's because, number one, of what you said, it causes such conflict. But the second thing is a wise old pastor one time said, when I see where you spend your money, I know your moral code. You know, it's, I'll, I'd have to argue that with anybody, but wherever you put your treasure, your heart turns up. So your treasure's going somewhere, so that's where your heart is. That's why it's that important. Now, one other thing I'll say without qualification, um, I should have done this at 17, but at 37, I engaged a finance advisor. And I have, uh, they have done my budgets, they have done our budgets on a sort of biannual basis for the last 20 something years. They've helped. I think that's great. I think your story sounds like similar to ours. Um, we fought a lot about money in the early part of our marriage, and Krista is definitely more frugal than I am. Um, I, like, I grew up poor, so I just spent the money when I had it, you know. And then when I had a lot of money, I just spent it straight away. So even when I had money, I still lived poor. I was still broke all the time, even when I was on a good wage. And so we, we fought a lot. I do think um, communicating is important. You know, sometimes we don't talk about money because it is an icky topic and we can end up fighting about it. But it's actually not talking about it is worse. And then learning that you have come from different backgrounds. Krista does think about money differently to me. And so resisting the urge to just bite and ended up being an argument. Now, again, I would love to say I learned all that the easy way. I read a book and it was really good. We just figured it out the hard way because all of our fights were pretty intense at the start and then we learned to calm down and realise, okay, we think about this differently. Let's talk it out. What are our goals? What do we actually want? Krista wanted to um, to buy a house. That was one of her things. So I'm like, well, I looked at it. I'm like, well, we're not going to buy a house like this, are we? So we started having conversations and so I think that's really important. But while we're talking about fighting, let's shift into the next question. So how do we resolve negative issues? Now, I think by this question, someone is very politely asking, how do you fight right? <laughs> Because anyone that says that they're not arguing in their relationship has got a bad relationship. Let me just say that right now. I won't say who. I was at a wedding. The bride and the groom very proudly told me, we've never had an argument and we plan to never have an argument. I thought, ooh, that, I they left the table. I said to the person next to me, that's going to be a fun first year. Huh? <laughs> um, so if you've never had a fight, uh, you probably need to get some relationship counselling. But there is an art form to how to fight right because you can also have some really bad arguments that damage the relationship, damage people's self-esteem, etc. So um, I might throw it over to Beck. Um, Beck, how do you fight right? Well, I've got to say, we fight well <laughs> in our house. Um, I, some of you may have met Pastor Grant. I think he's been here before, but I sometimes think I married my father. I think they say that you do that. But... Um, yeah, very early on in our marriage as well, we had a pretty big blue and um, Grant got on his motorbike and he screamed down the street and I was kind of just left at home thinking, okay, great, what do I do now? And a part of something rose up within me and I was like, you know what, if he can do that, so can I. So I took off as well. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I ended up sitting in my car, my little barina at the time, um, down the road at the local park. And I was thinking, great, he's not going to know that I'm here. He's going to get home and he's going to be like, what? She's gone as well. Anyway, he f ended up finding me. <laughs> and I was so spewing. But anyway. Um, <laughs> but long story short, that was in our first year of marriage. That would have probably been our first really big fight. Uh, probably a couple of months <laughs> married. Oh, I've been married 18 years now. Um, 
But after that fight, we made some um, really clear ground rules, I guess you would call it, um, that we would never leave the house again if we were having an argument. And man, that's hard to do <laughs> sometimes when you need some space. And um, if you get to know us a little bit, I'm the type of person, I think I get this from my mum, I'm the type of person that needs to just mull over what's happened. I need a bit of space and I need a bit of time before I'm ready to talk. Whereas Grant, on the other hand, he, we have a blue and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, babe. (laughs) Like he's instant to say sorry. But over the years, we've um, also come to learn how each other copes when we go through conflict. And so now, thankfully, we've come into this happy medium where he knows, okay, Beck needs to just cool down. She needs to gather her thoughts. So he leaves me be. We went through this season as well where he left me be for too long. (laughs) Um, So we've been at both ends of the, the scale. But now, you know, he knows I need five, ten minutes. But then I know in the back of my head as well, And sometimes, to be honest, I'm not ready to come back after 10 minutes. But that's the compromise that we've made. That Because he's ready to say sorry straight away. And that's what works for him. So we sort of go to the other ends of the house. We give each other some space. And then we look at our watch. And we know that in 10 minutes, regardless of how we're feeling, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about this. So, um, yeah, I hope that answers your question. That's great. Krista, do you want to speak into that? Yeah, we give a hand. That's fantastic. So we've had arguments before, as you can imagine. Of course. Um, oh, that's really loud. Um, we just say Krista can hold her own. People are like, <laughs> she worked in government. She told cops no for a living. Oi, Believe me, okay. she's got no problems telling me no. So, um, honey, when we're not on the same page, yeah. which, look, only happens about every four days. Um, so, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Definitely at the start of our marriage, it would have been like every four hours. Um, you know, what, what do you think about fighting right? I think... For me, fighting has a negative connotation. So I think an argument is probably what I would probably say it. Although it's not for everybody, but I didn't grow up in the most peaceful of environments. So when I think fighting, I think the extreme. Um, But I think it's interesting. Um, One of the things that I think God really spoke to me about when we first got married and even now is just taking time to calm down and just letting the emotions die down. If you're an emotional person... I am an emotional person. That's how God made me. And there's a lot of pros and there's a lot of cons. But, um, you know, one of the things that I learned is everything within me just wants to get it all out and sort it out right now so it's done. Just like ticking a box. But I think that, you know, really God has been teaching me and is still teaching me to this day to just take a moment. I didn't see my parents take a moment. It just went boom. Right, And they're amazing godly people today and they have worked through so much. But I needed to unlearn a lot of things about how I was taught to have an argument or to fight, if that makes sense. So I think just giving my, you know, that space where you can either go into another room. I didn't understand that. Phil would walk away and I'm like, where are you going? I'm not finished. I'm not done yet. Like, you know, <laughs> and I didn't understand that. So really God had to speak to my heart and really just say... It's okay. You don't have to have it all out right now. Let me speak to you. And let me speak to him because you're not getting through to him. <laughs> so that was really good. It's true. Can I just say, Krista is often nicer than God. 
Come on, let's be real. If anyone's ever spoke to a Holy Spirit in an argument, especially if you're the bloke, he's not that, he's not that compassionate, I've found. <laughs> Once we had a blue, it was probably 18 months into our marriage. And um, so we, she went into her room, I went into the study, I sat down. God didn't even give me time to cool down. I didn't even get 10 minutes. Straight away, he's like, you just need to drop this. I said, well, I'm upset about it. He goes, you need to get over it. I said, well, I'm upset, God. He goes, who's the bigger man? He goes, I thought you were the man. I thought you were big enough to drop this. I said, well, I am. He goes, then drop it. You need to go in and apologise. I said, I haven't done anything wrong. He goes, that's not the way I'm looking at it. I thought, I came into the study to escape this, you know. So I sat there for a minute and then he said, I'm waiting. I said, okay. I got up and apologised to Krista, which was the right thing to do. And in hindsight, I was a bullfed. Um, I would also add to that, I love what you said about the different personalities because Krista and I are the same. Sometimes she needs to mull over it. And I also get over it. I get into it quick. I get out of it quick, right? So I'm like, I'm done. And I'm like, so do you want to go out for a coffee or for a meal or something? I'm ready to be lovey-dovey again now. She's like, I'm not. Like, I need some cool-down time. I'm like, do you want to go on a date? I feel really bad about it. Well, I'll buy you something. I'll buy you some flowers. Like, let's make this right, you know? Or I'll go down and I used to go down and buy flowers straight away. I'm like, so here's the flowers. Like, I'm sorry. I feel bad. I've genuinely apologised. It wasn't just words. Like, can we just kiss and make up? She's like, we can in about eight hours. So, um, so we've had to learn to, to speed that process up as well. And I've had to learn to be patient, which is a thing for me. But I do think when you are arguing or fighting, um, we are supposed to build each other up in relationships. And mind you, this applies to everything. This applies to business, ministry, friendships, romance. We're supposed to be building each other up. So resist the urge to name call, yeah. you know, that does nothing good. And often you don't even remember what you fought about, but you remember the insult. That's actually what does the damage, right? So I've had to learn to just cool my jets. Don't, don't use any names. Her name is Krista. That's her name. That's the only name I can use when we're having an argument. And resist the urge to say something because, again, although it does express some of that emotion and you get it out of your system, like I said, often we've forgotten what we fought about but the actual things we said to each other in that heat of the moment, that's actually what stuck. And that's actually what took longer to unpick and undo and repair into the argument, right? So just if you're going to have a fight, fight about the actual issue. And if you're not cool-headed enough, like Krista said, to actually discuss the issue and you're just going to go off like a pork chop, then just take some time out until you can come back to it. It might mean 10 minutes... And you might start and you're like, oh, you know, oh, need another 10, another 10 minutes, you know, which is really great. Um, so while we're talking things that people fight about, money, let's talk about, let's talk about kids and grandkids. Um, so, and I personally really want to hear this answer because I have young kids. How do you keep your kids in, or grandkids in church? I'll open that up to any of you. Yeah, I'll answer that. Well, we probably could answer that one together. Um, Again, I'm going to quote what you said this morning about what we, what we sang about keeping Jesus the centre of it all. Um, and you said somehow it always, always works out. Look, I want to be tender. You can do everything right and your kids can still um, decide to walk away. Um, but there are a few things that you can do. And, and for us, it was making church a priority. And um, I'm going to draw back in on this discussion in a minute um, because life gets busy um, if you've got if you've got kids you know you're involved in sports after school activities school itself and the list goes on and on um, and I we, know we went through 
I can remember this so vividly sitting back down in the lounge room. She had a lot of activity going on in her life. And of course, you know, being pastor's kid, you know, she never got out of church because that was our priority. And um, Steve sat her down on the lounge with a bowl of fruit and just um, to get your priorities right in your life is like, um, church is a big rock, you know. Beck, do you remember that? Do you want to speak to that? Yeah, it's funny how you um, said that life was busy back then. I feel like it's still busy now. Um, and to be honest, we, my husband and I actually do this activity with our kids every year before we start the new year. We talk about our big rocks. And if you can imagine um, a big bowl and say your big rocks will be, you know, your, your key priorities, your, your core convictions. So obviously church is um, a pretty big one, or if not, well, God, obviously number one. Church is also closely second. And then if you put your big rocks in, then all the little ones will sort of um, be able to fit around it. But if you try to put all your little ones in, you can't fit the big ones in because it's too full. Or they fall out. That's right. Um, so, yeah, I do remember having that conversation. Um, yeah. And we do that with our family. I've got three, I was going to say little. They're not really overly little anymore. I've got a 13-year-old, a 9-year-old and a 5-year-old. Um, who you would have seen um, emptying my entire contents of my bag on the front row this morning. <laughs> That's straight <laughs> after she had both hands in the air worshipping <laughs> <Yes>. God. <laughs> and my little boy shining the torch on that second row there. I'm so sorry for your eyes. <laughs> um, but anyway, <laughs> just keeping it real. But um, He told yeah. me that God said there's sin there. He was looking for it. <laughs> so. Hey, listen, I get asked a lot because um, I travel um, how, how, how do you, we get our kids to serve God? Look, Rebecca's 38 years of age, um, serving God. Our second daughter, Renee, is 36, a high school teacher, married to a public servant, um, policy writer with the state government. Um, he's on the eldership of the church he attends. Um, our youngest daughter is uh, 32, is that correct? Um, 32, and um, she serves the Lord. She's in our church with her two kids, and then I have a son, 27, that is, uh, serves the house. Um, I talk, so uh, he's an electrician. Um, our 32-year-old is in HR with TAFE, um, Queensland. So they've all got jobs. They're all busy, busy people. And Susie said this, look, I know people did it all wrong. Their kids are serving God. I know people that did it all right and their kids aren't. So I understand that. We've always wanted simply to say that if our kids were to go off the rails, we wanted to be able to look each other in the eye and say, I don't know why, and not if only I'd. Um, so I'm more clear on a couple of things you can do to guarantee your kids will not follow Christ. Here's the first one I'm going to say. Our kids have never, ever heard this come out of our lips. Are we going to church today? I had a guy in my church, he changed churches about a year ago. He told me his kid didn't believe in God anymore, but if we went to that church, he'd go. The kid, 16-year-old. So I sat down with him and I simply said, buddy, I'm not going to argue with what a parent feels a parent needs to do to pilot their children through these very, very challenging years. I get that. But I am going to say this to you as a friend. 
It don't matter where you go to church. It just matters that you go to church, mate. Because th- this guy, he's AWOL for a month because there's a marathon on. Or they're going to go visit a, you know, a, an art union prize home. And I'm thinking, um, Phil, I'm telling you the absolute truth. I never went camping on the weekend. People say, oh, you can't do that. You're the pastor. And that's why I'm the pastor. I was a boilermaker. I used to take days off during the week to take my kids camping. They'd say, yeah, but you have to get paid. There's more than one currency than finance. And, you know, you live in a very small world if your only currency is finance. Your health is a currency. Your family relationship is a currency. The spiritual well-being of your life is a currency. So you need to have a very balanced world, you know. And um, some people, you have a very strong finance currency, but your spiritual currency is bankrupt. And uh, our kids have never once heard us debating in the kitchen, are we going today? Another thing they've never heard us say is, how do you think pastor went this morning? Was the worship flat this morning to you or what? They've never heard us say that. Now, my children have all, at some time in their life, except for our 27-year-old son, worked on our, I don't call it staff, but for the sake of it, on our staff. I've pastored a, what's considered a large church of around 1,500 people, and I now pastor a church of around 300 people. So, you know, we've had both experiences in terms of church life. Um, but until they're about 20, they, they couldn't believe that anything but brilliant things happened at church. Um, if you were talking to me and you started to go, they'd say, excuse me, little ears. And if you keep going, they'd say, excuse me, little ears. You keep going, I'm going to knock your block off. Because you're telling my kids things they don't know. And I don't need you to tell them. They will work that out soon enough. But I don't need you to tell them right now because they just think it's all fantastic. One last thing. When our kids went to youth group, we said, because when a kid first goes to youth group, they want to go. All right? A lot of parents battle with their kid going to youth group. Not when they're 12. It's when they're 15. So when our kids, you know... Oh, Dad, we're going to youth group next term. We can go to youth group. I said, okay, I'll let you go. All right, I'll let you go. We'll do a deal. You can go if you sit in the first two rows for the whole year. Because I've learned that the youth group's a very different room from the front seat to the back seat. So I'm culturalising my children. I only get one year for the cement to set. So I'm having them on the front row where everyone up there is and listening not picking their nose, playing, you know, um, whatever they do. And all my kids still sit in the front row. <laughs> so that's my two bobs worth. It's great. Yeah, that's, that's a great answer. Just to make it clear so that you understand their heart. They're not saying, you know, if you've got family overseas, you can't visit them because you'll miss a Sunday. Just just go to church wherever you are. I mean, we were in, we were in Melbourne. We, we only had like three or four days there, right? Um, my eldest... He didn't ask if we were going to church. He came in and said, so, Dad, which church are we going to? I'm thinking these are the options. And he lists all the different churches he's looking at going to. I was so proud. I said, which one do you want to go to? Oh, I could go to Hillsong with Uncle Dan. That's where he goes to church. I think I might want to go to Faith, though. We'll go, we'll go back there. I like their kids' program. I said, okay, well, we'll go to Faith then. That's great. It, you just go to church wherever you are. I was in Cooperpedia. I went to church there. Double the size of the service, you know. It was great. Go and support somebody else. Cheer them on. It's great. Go to church. Um, what about, let's just, just pivot slightly. What about if your kids have walked away from faith, whatever reason, and, and you're wanting to win your grandkids to Jesus? Any, we've got two grandparents on the panel. Any tips there for how to 
win that next generation? Yeah, I, I think if it's at all possible, like um, physically possible, like take them to church with you. We've got lots of grandparents in our church that, um, and there's, there's a few of them that have grandkids, like their children are not, their adult children are not walking with God and they bring them along and um, take any opportunity you can, like spend time with them, pray with them, you know, like if if they're worried about something or, uh, you know, like kids have got a lot to face these days. There's There's got to be stuff you can pray with them about and um, it just, it just oh, plants a little seed, plants a little seed. And I'm sure you've all heard of testimonies of people that have come to God as an adult that from a from a praying grandparent and I think it's probably the most important thing you can do for them yeah so spend time with them if at all possible take them to church with you yeah it's great um so we're talking about relationships and I'm happy for any of you for to answer this what do you do when only one party wants to work on the relationship so you've just come along to Shiloh, you're all fired up, you're gonna, I'm going to fix every single thing in our relationship and you're the only one out of the two that wants to do that. The other person's just, oh, no, nah, I'm happy with it the way it is. What do you do then? I think that's one for you, honey. <laughs> Susie says it's one for me because I'm the only one that wants to work on ours. <laughs> I have a couch at my house if you need it. <laughs> and I'll be needing a lift home with someone uh, at a free lunch. Um, Susie and I are in a situation where people come to talk to us. And so we hear that a lot um, from people. I would... It's a good question, and you've got to be very tender. Phil said it on the last question. I probably came out quite strong um, because we're up here holding a microphone. A lot of these things are, are better conversations, you know, and so you've got to understand that every... I'm, I'm, we're not sharing so much principles here because everything has to be attached to your personal nuance. I say you've got to go to church every week. Well, you're a fireman. Yeah, I, obviously, we get that, you know. Um, so uh, on this one, I would say this, though. God has given you a privilege and a responsibility to change one person in the entire universe. I just gave you time to think about who that is. And it's you. I heard of a woman that went to a therapist, a wise, fairly wise therapist that you'll, you'll hopefully see, and she spewed out um, everything about her husband. And, of course, he didn't want to get help. She was there alone, and, and um, his misdemeanours were many, and to the point where she had grown to utterly despise him, and um, she's going to leave. So the therapist says, so you really want to get this guy good, don't you? And she, you know, she curled her eyebrows and said, yes. She said, well, listen, I think we could do it different. Why don't you for the next month give him everything he wants? Every whim, every desire, just give him everything he wants. She said, what was that for? She said, because then when you leave him, he's going to know what he lost. Oh, this appealed to her sense of spite. So now she, so she left the therapist's office, you know, with a cunning plan, you know, bought a new outfit on the way home. Let's not go too far down that road, but she's now, this is good, this is good. Well, three months later, by chance, the therapist saw the woman in a shopping centre aisle 
And so inquired, oh, how are you doing now that you're on your own? And, and, and particularly, how, how did you get on, you know, with stabbing your husband in the back after? He said, oh, not at all. I can't believe how much he changed during that month. <laughs> Our marriage is better than ever. And, of course, the therapist, the wise therapist, raised an eyebrow, um, wished her well into the future and walked off with a wry and knowing smile. And um, the moral of the story is very clear. We think we've got to change the world. Just change your street. Just change the person. You know, every time I've gone away after a, a what do we call it, Krista? An argument or a, an, an adult discussion. Um, Robust conversation. Yeah. Uh, I've had to sit down and work out that... In fact, there's a verse in Matthew 5 that says this. When you bring a gift to the altar... And you realise, who can finish that verse for me? Every single person I've ever asked to finish that verse finishes it wrong, even though it's very clear. In the book of Matthew, we finish it this way. When you bring your gift to the altar and you realise you have something against somebody, leave the gift there and go and put it right. It doesn't say that. It says when you bring your gift to the altar and you realise somebody has something against you, you leave your gift there and you go and do it. And I asked God, what the heck? Why do I have to do it for? He said, because you're at the altar. I can work with you. I can work with the person at the altar. Be the big person. So I've found, in no matter whenever we've had a discussion, it always falls within my power to put it right if I want to. And if I'm going to be brutally honest, it's only my pride and stubbornness that stops me. Um... I've met some wonderful ladies that are married to what I would call, I've got to be careful, there's probably kids here, but M-O-N-G-R-E-Ls. I mean, pedigree, pedigree. And yet they're the sweetest people I've ever met. And yet I find others that no matter how many problems you remove, they find another one. Um, so I just feel... Um, I would go and get help, though. If, if Even if you're the only one who, who wants to go and get help because you'll be helping your relationship by helping yourself. That's great. What about uh, someone's asked, when is it okay to move on from a relationship? Now, I'm not sure if they're talking about marriage, friendship. Um, let's assume it's a romantic relationship, I think. Well, firstly, you know. if you're single, whenever. <laughs> whenever, whenever you like. Um, I, I've had this conversation with my children as they've come up to get married. Um, one of our children is a rescuer. And so um, I just felt, I said, buddy... Um, in a couple of weeks you're going to be married and it's a totally different set of conditions in play from that moment. But right now you have a choice and I have a duty of responsibility before the Lord to you, not to, to both of you. So I want to just put it on the table. Um, you have a choice now. Um, and so I'd say that to a single person. I meet a lot of girls or guys trapped in a relationship because of their loyalties um, it's, it's, it's 60 years you're looking at. You're looking down the barrel of 60 years, gosh. Come on. If you don't like it now, it's not going to get better. <laughs> Give it the slipper. Because once, once you're married, that's, then you've got to work on it yourself. So um, th that's all I'll say. You can take it over now, Gordon. It's your pick. <laughs> Pastor Krista. Are you good? Go for it. I was just going to say, obviously, what you said before, context is important. Um, 
whether you're single or maybe a spouse has passed away, um, you know, obviously the answers could be very diverse. Um, but I would just say if you continue walking with Jesus, <laughs> um, you know, you're inviting the Holy Spirit into your day every day and you're walking that journey with, with them, um, I think you're going to know the answer because if that's your first priority and you're submitting that to God every day, get a word if you have to. Um, can, yeah. I, can I speak to the, the fact that you're married and you just think you want out? Can we just, like, yeah. that's the elephant in the room. Um, the Bible's clear on conditions where that can happen. Matthew 19 speaks about infidelity. That's when your spouse sleeps with somebody else, to be blunt as. Um, I, as a young guy, was so ideal, I would think, no, we've got to make it work. Um, when I was talking to a couple, literally a couple in this situation, and I had my associate pastor came to me one day and said, mate, you're not better than the Bible. I said, no, no, you've got to understand, there can be grace for this. He said, Steve, you're not better than the Bible. The Bible says they don't have to. And so um, I've had to modify that. And obviously then you've got all the complexities. There could be children involved. There could be business partnerships. There are reasons why you may continue to journey together. Um, and you, you, to me... You wouldn't do that based on listening to a panel on a Sunday morning church. You do that because you have sat with the most trusted of Christian friends and you have listened to them. And by friends, I had a, a buddy in our church who was going to leave his wife, so I went and had a chat with him. There'd been no infidelity um, on her part at all. He just, I said, so what are your friends saying to you? He said, well, they just said they're going to support me whatever I do. I said, well, they're not your friends, mate. Your friends would have said, you're an idiot. I'm your friend, mate. You're a fool. Um, so that, the Bible says a friend is born for diversity. The Bible says a friend sharpens a friend. That's what I mean by a friend. I had to deal with a very serious situation um, within the last year, and I went to a friend, not my pastor, another trusted friend. They said this to me, Steve, I will not sacrifice the truth for our friendship. I said, that's why I want to talk to you, because I know you'll tell me what I need to hear. And so, you know, that physical abuse, you've been beat up, you know, that your, your life is in danger. These are real issues and you need very speedily to, to ask someone um, and ask someone up the chain. If you're 15, don't ask a 15-year-old. If you've been, I'm being careful here, but if you've been divorced three times, don't ask someone to divorce three times. I always try to simply find someone on the road I'd like to be walking for advice godly people um, because there is a time when perhaps you should move on but it, it, you could never be doing that life can I just say I had a woman ring me one time I did not know anonymous back when our pastor's numbers were in the phone book in the white pages so he said hello are you a pastor I said could be <laughs> <laughs> why she said I want to ask a question of a pastor I said right oh and she said, my husband's a jerk and I want to leave him. I said, are you Susie with a handkerchief over the phone in the other room? <laughs> you know? Anyway, we worked out that we did not know each other. I said, so you do not know me? She said, no, pick your name out of the white pages. I said, okay. So that means you can be blunt with me and I can also be blunt back. She said, oh, I'd like that. I said, okay, tell me what the deal is. She said, I want to leave my husband. He's a jerk. And I said, okay, fair call. I understand that. And um, my wife's married to a guy like that. And... Um, I said, can I ask you a question? 
And she said, oh, she said, I want to know if I do that, will God forgive me? And I said, okay, um, can I ask you a question? She said, sure, sure. She said, do you have anyone else in mind? She said, excuse me? I said, when you leave your husband, have you got someone else in mind? She said, oh, <laughs> I do. And now please hear this. I want you to hear this because we do this on a lot of issues. I said, you're asking the wrong question. She said, what do you mean? I said, you just asked, would God forgive me? God's not on trial here. He's very clear in the Bible. He'll forgive you. You've got a greater danger. Will you ask him? Because what I learn about scripture is that when I willfully sin, willfully remove myself from the word of God, my heart sets like stone. I'd be more concerned with whether you will be soft enough to ask him. Don't put God on trial twice. And she thanked me and I said, you keep bringing around, sweetheart. You'll find someone who'll agree with you but not this little red duck. And I hung up. You might be here because I don't know who you ever were. Last question. We talk about healthy homes and um, you know, some people are single for a season, some people are single for life. And uh, so someone's basically asking how to make the most of being single. So I might ask Beck and Krista that one. I'll start with Krista first. I'll pick on her. Um, how to make the most of being single. I think just enjoy life. Stop focusing on the negative parts. It's, you know, in society, we just, we're constantly bombarded with this idea of getting somewhere by a certain stage and all of this stuff. I think just enjoy your journey that you're on, whether that's long-term or just seasonal, but walk the journey with God and enjoy it. Yeah. I would agree. I mean, I got married at 19, so I'm... Not sure I can um, qualified to talk on it, but um, you're single now. For <laughs> well, I, I mean, I've had a, a lot of friends actually who haven't um, or who've remained single to this day, um, and they're in their sixties. Um, a few friends that didn't get married until they were forty, fifty. Um, but I agree with Krista. You know, just stop chasing, stop looking for a boy or looking for a girl. Um, just enjoy life, Get, set your soul, set your heart on fire for Jesus and you can't go wrong. Um, I've, I've known a few girls in my life who, you know, they're in their mid-twenties and they think they're, they're on the shelf. <laughs> and I'm like, no, babe, you can't live your life looking through the lens of looking for someone to complete you. And I think that's what you've got to resolve first, you know. I don't... Yeah, I feel pretty strong on that, I think. You know, if you're going to continue to look and to chase for, for a partner, you're potentially going to miss what God has for you. Yeah. And I've, I know uh, one particular girl, you know, who got married in her mid-30s, I love that she just she didn't settle. That, that need to be with someone wasn't overruling her life and when... This is her testimony. When she looks back on that time now, the man that God had set aside for her to marry in her mid-30s, it couldn't have been written better. And I'm just so, so glad that she didn't settle just for the sake of being with someone. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'd add to that as well. You're, you're enough without somebody. You are enough without somebody. You may not feel that in the moment, 
but you are absolutely enough without somebody. And if you're not, let me tell you, somebody isn't going to fix that. Yeah. Relationship is not going to fix that. whatever it is that makes you feel that, right? Um, and you will be better even if you do find someone and you've come to that revelation that you are enough without them and you've worked through that. I know that Krista doesn't need me. I mean that in a loving way, that she is enough without me. She has a great relationship with Jesus. She's a smart, capable, confident, gorgeous woman. She doesn't need to be in a relationship with me to be happy. Obviously, we are happy and we bring something to that, but there's a security that that adds to our relationship because she's not needing me to fulfill something within her. She's already found that in Jesus Christ, right? And so that brings us strength through all the stuff we've spoken about today, money, arguments, all the rest of that. It brings us strength into our marriage because we're both complete people without needing the other person to fix that missing thing. Because the truth is, what we're both missing in life, only Jesus can fulfill anyway. So if I'm looking to Krista for that, yeah, I'm not going to get it from her. I'm going to be disappointed. If she's looking to me for that, she's definitely going to be disappointed. I'm not as good as Jesus, right? And so you've got to be able to be comfortable being single and realize that you are. You've got enough. If you've got Jesus, you've got more than more than any guy or any girl will ever give you. And then even if you do find someone, that's going to make your relationship just that much better. Any parting words for wisdom before we go? I was on just going to say, just on that last one, and if you are single and you don't have family, connect into one. You've got a great family here. You know, we've always had our doors open. We've had lots of single people come into our home and they're a part of our family. And some of them are married now, some of them aren't. And, yeah, find your family. That's great. Any other final words? Steve? He has to have one, surely. <laughs> Go on once. I would only just say, I've harped on about this all morning, about Jesus being the centre of it all, but what a great opportunity if you're single to serve the house of God because you don't have those limitations of having to look after kids and um, make hay while the sun shines because... If you put Jesus at the centre of all, everything else works out. Yeah. And yeah, you save money. <laughs> buy a house, definitely buy a house. Yeah, there's lots of things you can do. Yeah. Great. We might leave it there. But our, our heart, Krista and I, for you, is to at least use this as a springboard to start some conversations. You can't resolve everything in 45 minutes in a Q&A. And pretty much every single one of these questions that we've asked... It's just a starter, you know. And once you've got context and all the rest of that, but be having conversations in all of your relationships, in friendships, in business, in marriage, have conversations, be able to communicate. If you don't know anything about communication, learn, because um, it'll make your relationship just that much better. Yeah, every relationship has unique challenges and unique issues. Talk to people. Krista and I are always available. We'd love to talk to you. You know, we, we believe in this stuff. We believe in healthy homes. We may not have it all figured out. Our home isn't perfect. Yours probably isn't either, but we are on the journey. We're committed to building healthy because healthy is not perfect, right? It's just healthy. You know, um, you get those little odd fruits. Have you seen those? You know, they, they bundle them in the shopping centre. You buy like odd-looking banana, odd-looking potato, whatever it's cheaper. It's still good for you. So your family might be a little bit odd. Your home might be a little bit odd. It's still good for you, right? So we're believing that Shiloh is a church that's full of healthy families. And as unhealthy families come into this environment and unhealthy homes come into this environment, they'll experience the health, first of all, of this house, but also your homes as well. Um, Pastor Steve, would you pray for the health of all of the homes in this church? And then we can call it a day. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Can I encourage you? You've got to you just talk, talk to people. Find someone to talk to. Um, Susie's allowed to dob me in. Um, 
she, and she does. But um, I'd like to pray for you. Uh, if you've got a, a family member that's not walking for Jesus right now, maybe a grandson, granddaughter, work colleague, um, I'd like to pray for him again this week. Let's, let's, why don't you stand? Why don't you stand right now? And um, I just want, I've got a story I can't tell in our church. It's just too sensitive. But of the most demonstrative turnaround um, to God from to hell and back. And I remember going over to the couple's home and um, dad retired, professional fellow. And he told me the story, which I, I just cannot tell you. But he just at the end, with tears running down his eyes, he just said, Steve, this is why you should never stop praying for your children. And uh, I was crying. It was just amazing. And God loves you. And uh, he loves your people. He loves your families. The Bible says he puts the solitary into families. He loves your families. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray right now as we stand for people that we love. Some of them we're estranged from. Some of them we don't know the geographic whereabouts of. But Lord God, you do. And we trust you. We trust that you are going where we cannot go. If we can go, then we should go. But if we don't know where to go, we can pray. And you will go. So we ask you, Lord God, there's somebody in another town or another place that you are using right now to influence somebody we cannot reach physically, but we are reaching them in prayer. I ask this in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord God, there are people here that need to put down um, the spiteful chalice. And this morning, I don't know who they are, and, and they're protected by anonymity here but I pray that as they put that down a door will open in another part of the country or city to somebody's heart and we will release them Lord God so I pray pray for Pastor Phil and Krista as they lead our family here Lord God we thank you for them we will uphold them with honour at every opportunity so that this house will be strong we thank you for it in Jesus name Amen. I am Thank you for joining our podcast. We hope you were blessed by today's message. You can connect with us at shilohchurch.com.au.